What place do none of us want to be at, yet we can find ourselves at? We've been looking at that over these weeks. It might be the place of fear. It might be the place of being downcast. It might be the place of doubt. As in this series on encountering Jesus beyond Easter, we've looked at these things. But today, we look at the place of failure. We live in a culture where success is held up as a high value. But the reality is that the place of failure is part of the pathway of life and faith, no matter who we are. A couple of who am I's for you. Who am I? In 1905, the University of Bern turned down my PhD dissertation as being irrelevant and fanciful. Who was I? Albert Einstein. (laughs) Irrelevant and fanciful. Who am I? Number two, the rhetoric teacher at Harrow School in England wrote this on my report card as a 16-year-old, a conspicuous lack of success. How do you like that on your report card as a 16-year-old? A conspicuous lack of success. Who am I? Winston Churchill. Number three, who am I? I once spent $2 million or the equivalent of $2 million on an invention that turned out to be a flop. Who am I? (laughs) I'll I'll pay that one. Uh, Well, that wasn't who I was thinking of, but uh, could well be. Thomas Edison. But the greatest who am I's when it comes to failure, spiritually, can be found in the Bible. Even Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers and who was described as the rock on who Jesus would build his church, found himself at the place of failure. He denied that he even knew Jesus, not just once, not just twice, but three times. Just a couple of chapters earlier in the, the, uh, from the reading that uh, Stephen read to us in John chapter 18, verse uh, 17 uh, it describes uh, one, one, of the, um, uh, one of the servant girls on duty there, brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. I am not. I wonder, on the pathway of life and faith, where might you have been at the place of failure? What, that, what might that have looked like for you? But to quote the various who am I's that I referred to earlier, Albert Einstein later in life said, failure is success in progress. While Churchill would say success consists in going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. And Edison, who invented the light bulb along with many other things, said, I have not failed, I've just found 10,000 ways that didn't work. But more than anything else, it seems to me, the Bible shows us how even and especially at the place of failure, we can encounter Jesus. That was Peter's experience in the reading that Stephen read to us earlier from John chapter 21. Peter had gone fishing along with some others of Jesus' disciples. It's described in the, uh, the, uh, in the start of that reading. Jesus had appeared again, and we've been looking at Jesus' appearance, and it says in verse 1, afterwards Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. 
And Simon Peter said, I'm going out to fish. And they said, we'll go with you. Now, we don't know exactly why they went out to fish, but, uh, but the reality is, is that they were, they were waiting. They were waiting and, and Peter was wondering, probably in all likelihood, what, what's, what, what's, uh, what, what, what's happening? They were waiting for Jesus, uh, wondering, and uh, maybe he got a bit impatient. We don't really know. But he went out to fish. And, uh, but undoubtedly, his failures were still playing over and over in his heart and his mind. But what unfolds in the verses that follow is Peter encountering Jesus and it shows us three very profound and powerful things that, like Peter, we too need to come to understand about the place of failure in God's purposes. And the first one is this. When we encounter Jesus at the place of failure, it becomes a place of being stripped back, of being stripped back. What does it say in the second part of verse 3 when they went fishing? So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing, nothing. Now, that would have been easy to understand if it was me fishing because, because I am not much of a fisherman. I would catch nothing even if there was fish everywhere. I'd come up empty every time. But Peter and the other disciples, they, they, were, they were pro fishermen. That was, their, that, was, uh, that was part of who they were. They, they were the real deal when it came to fishing. But nevertheless, their nets came up empty. They caught nothing. But what does it describe beyond that? Into verses 4 to 6. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. What, what, is, what is the insight that I think is very profound from here? And it's this. What a difference it makes. Instead of relying on ourselves and our capabilities and our confidence, that we come to the place of relying on Jesus. Not just in fishing, but in life and in faith. How does that happen, though? It only happens as our self-reliance is stripped back, layer by layer, and as we come up empty in and of ourselves and realise through our failures how much we need to rely on God instead. Verse 9, as, uh, as we read, into, read on in this passage, provides even more insight into this. It, it says, When they landed on the shore, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. What, what's the significance of this? Peter would draw closer to Jesus at what place here? Around a fire of burning coals. And you might say, well, what's, uh, what's so significant about that? Well, it's this. The word in the original language here and the fire of burning coals, the last time that that was described and the only two times that that is described in the Gospel of John is when Peter denied knowing Jesus. That too was around a fire of burning coals, his place of failure. So what Jesus is doing here is that he's stripping back the layers that Peter had put up. Layers of denial, layers of, of, of self-protection, layers of self-reliance as part of this encounter with him. And he's bringing him even and especially through his failure to the place of greater reliance on him instead of self-reliance. It's not just Peter that needs to come to that place. We all do. I do. You do. And God uses even our failures in the process of his work in our lives, if we allow him to. 
So the, the, the encounters with Jesus at the place of failure involve stripping back of self-reliance, stripping back of those things in us that, uh, that, that need to be shaped by God to, uh, to lead us to greater reliance on Jesus. But that leads into the second profound and powerful thing to understand about the place of failure in God's purposes, which is this, that when we encounter Jesus at the place of failure, it is a safe place. It is a safe place. I'll say that again because it's just so important to hear it. It is a safe place. My role as chaplain at the local footy club was down there again yesterday afternoon and one of the players made a mistake. One of our players made a pretty significant mistake that led to them being sent off. Uh, in, in the rules of, uh, of, of the amateurs, which uh, the league it is, um, uh, they, uh, a player can be sent off and the, the umpire reaches down into his sock, just like in, in soccer, and up comes the red card. And uh, for, so for 12 minutes, they do get to come back on, but for 12 minutes, they're out of this game. Now, this player, it's a pretty fair player, and, uh, and, and, and uh, this was out of, uh, out of character in a lot of ways, and I felt for him because there was nowhere to hide. Everyone saw what happened and everyone saw the consequences. It played out in front of everybody there. But when we were at the place of failure before Jesus, instead of it being a place of shame, a place of condemnation, it is a safe and secure place where his love for us, no matter what, is evident. Very evident in Peter's encounter with Jesus here. As Jesus goes on to ask Peter three times in verses 15 and 17, Do you love me? When he'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Jesus, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then a third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Now, I want you to stop and think about this with me for a moment. Peter has failed Jesus. Peter has failed Jesus. And so you would expect Peter to be asking Jesus, do you still love me? Even after I've failed you, do you still love me? Surely you can't still love me after what I've done. But Jesus flips the script. His love for Peter. It's not Peter Peter asking Jesus, do you love me? It's Jesus asking Peter. He's flipped the script and, and, and his love for Peter is just the same as it was before his failure and always will be. An unconditional love. A love where nothing we can do can make him love us less. And nothing we can do can make him love us more either. But he's instead asking Peter, Peter, do you love me? It's fascinating in the Gospel of Mark's account in Mark chapter 16 uh, of um, uh, the the resurrection in the morning. In Mark chapter 16 verse 7, uh, when, when the angel says this, Uh, go to the disciples, uh, to the women at at the tomb, go tell his disciples and Peter. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever noticed that? Go tell his disciples. It doesn't just say go tell his disciples. It says go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. 
I think, uh, I, I think Jesus uh, uh, here especially wanted Peter to know that this wasn't the end of the road. This wasn't the end of the road for Jesus and it wasn't the end of the road for Peter either, despite his failure. It's a beautiful imagery in, uh, from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 3. This beautiful imagery of how even though we can be bruised or broken reeds out of our failures, God doesn't write us off. God doesn't give up on us. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 3, speaking of the servant of the Lord, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. Maybe you feel like you're a bit of a bruised reed or a bit of a smouldering wick in, uh, in God's purposes out of your failures. But yet that is, God, that, that is a reminder to us that God does not give up on us or write us off despite our failures. Peter doesn't encounter a resurrected Jesus who, who shames him. He doesn't encounter a resurrected Jesus who has given up on him, but he encounters one whose mercies are new every morning and whose love means that he is at a safe and secure place, even as someone who has failed him. Do you think of Jesus' posture towards you in the same way? Jesus' posture and response towards you and I when we fail him is the same. It is a safe place. It is a place of security where God's love and grace reaches down to us, where we were at, and it's a place that is able to facilitate growth. It's a place that is able to lead to God's work in our lives and God's growth in our lives. When we encounter Jesus at the place of failure even, it becomes a place of being stripped back. It becomes a safe place. It is a safe place. But finally today, it becomes a place for starting over. For starting over. In verses 15 to 17 that, uh, that I read to you a few moments ago when... Jesus asked three times uh, Peter if he loves him. He doesn't call him Peter. Let me read it to you, or at least one of those, verse 15. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And again, this is fascinating. Why does he call him Simon, son of John? Well, the only other time Jesus calls him that is right back at the start of Peter coming to follow Jesus. Right at the start of John, John chapter 1, verse 42, where uh, Jesus looked at him, uh, and Andrew, Simon put his brother, brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So Simon, son of John, the only other time that he's referred to as that is when he's first called to follow Jesus, when he first encounters Jesus. And Jesus has taken him right back there and he's saying, let's start again. A place of failure becomes a place of forgiveness, grace and mercy, a place for starting over. Jesus is willing to start again with Peter, to wipe his slate clean and to even entrust him with his ongoing work in, uh, in God's purposes in, with very significant roles. As, uh, as, as he describes here, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and, uh, and feed my sheep. And then at the end, in, into verse 19, then he said to him simply, follow me. Follow me. 
a great follower of Jesus. Our vision here is, is for people to find and to follow Jesus. But what is a great follower of Jesus? A great follower of Jesus is not so much someone who does great things for Jesus, but someone for whom Jesus has done great things, like was the case for Peter, for whom Jesus has brought amazing grace and forgiveness and mercy. As we close, I wonder today, like Peter, have you found the place of failure to be a place of being stripped back? Have you come to a new reliance, new sense of reliance on God? Have you come to discover that even the place of failure before Jesus can be a safe and secure place because of the love of God that is like no other? And has the place of failure become for you not an end point, as it can for so many? You think of, uh, you think of Judas and, and the place of failure became an end point for him. What a contrast to Peter for whom the place of failure became not an end point but a starting over place because of he allowed the forgiveness and grace of Jesus to come afresh into his life. Let's pray together. Today afresh, the good news of Jesus is there for us all to hear and be aware of and to discover for ourselves that even at the place of failure, God's work brings grace. God's work brings growth. And as it was for Peter, it can be for you and for me. Whoever you are today, whatever, wherever you're at today, you can encounter Jesus, even and especially at the place of failure. So I simply want to ask, is, is God wanting to strip back your layers of self-reliance or your layers of self-protection? Is God wanting to strip those back and bring you to a place of greater reliance on God? Is God wanting you to know that the place of failure is a safe and secure place with Jesus? Despite the depth of our failures, God wants you to know the depth of his incredible love and grace. And is God wanting to, you to experience the place of starting over like Peter did? The place of the slate being Wipe clean the place of forgiveness. And so I invite you to encounter Jesus even today in one or all of these areas. Of the layers of self-reliance being stripped back. Of the, and, and being drawn to a greater reliance on God. Of encountering Jesus through coming to realise that even at the place of failure, there is, safe, there, there is safety and security under the umbrella of God's love, mercy and grace. And to experience the place of starting over again. I don't know your situation. I don't know exactly where each of you are at. But God does. And he invites you afresh today to experience, like Peter did, his work in your life. He invites you, despite your failures, to come to the place of starting over, to come to the place of knowing a safe and secure place before Jesus, and to come to the place of being stripped back 
and greater reliance on him. Just in these moments now, my prayer is that you would encounter Jesus afresh or for the first time. Thank you, God, for all that you are and all that you have done and continue to do for us. Thank you for your work revealed in and through Jesus and the incredible difference that that makes to our lives. For that, we are grateful. We ask these things in and through the name of Jesus, Saviour and Lord.